Welcome back to the FreightWaves Global Supply Chain Week. This is Alan Adler, FreightWaves Detroit Bureau Chief, and I'm joined by Mark Duchesne, the head of global manufacturing for Nikola Corporation. Mark has an interesting background in manufacturing. He has been around, believe me, he's worked at Toyota for most of his career. He also has been at, at Byton, but more importantly, he went he uh, contrasted the Toyota experience with Tesla, which, as we'll talk about, is one of the more interesting contrasts you can have in the manufacturing world. We'll talk to Mark this, uh, about uh, about supply chain. We'll talk about uh, the biggest project he's been working on, which is uh, building a plant in the desert uh, for the startup production for Nikola here in the U.S. Mark, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, Alan. Listen, I am thrilled to catch up with you again because, you know, we, we've talked before about some of the subjects we'll get into. But I want to start uh, this discussion uh, really to talk. Uh, we'll frame it up against COVID. We'll talk, you know, aside from COVID related delays and everybody sort of dealt with those, you know, what has presented the biggest challenge uh, in getting the, uh, the prototype tray models uh, here into the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure you can, uh, you know, you can phrase it as a COVID related issue, but you know, the logistics world right now is, is super dynamic. It's, it's had a huge impact. Um, everybody scrambled to, to get back and then things have, things have gone up and down and sideways. So, you know, building a prototype model in itself is already, you know, really dynamic. So trying to, trying to schedule you know, a shipping of a truck from from the uh, from the prototype shop in Germany to the port, getting it loaded onto a ship, hitting the right scheduled date, then getting it to the U.S. and through customs, and then here to Phoenix. Um, you know, there's there's a multitude of different ways that that can go wrong, but luckily we've got really a really sharp logistics team here and in Germany, and. Uh, so far, so good. We've been able to get the trucks here on schedule and and get them into testing and validation here in the U.S. Yeah, I know that was a that was a, a pretty big deal when that first one got here, and and now you've got several of them. I guess I didn't do our audiences any favor by explaining that the the tray is a battery electric truck that you are doing in a joint venture in in Germany with a um, uh, with a Veco, um, and then those trucks, of course. Are coming here. That's a cab over model, which is kind of interesting because other than you know sort of medium duties, we don't see much of that uh, in this country in, in, in the class eight level. But uh, the decision to bring that truck here and to ultimately build it here was something that I guess resulted from some customer demand. Yep, yep. I think the the, the cab over truck is uh, um, it's going to make a revival. The the new technology and the uh, and the way a battery electric truck comes together, uh, we'll start to make cab overs a, a, you know, a good choice again, I think. And I think that's uh, um, certainly true in, in Europe, where we'll launch the European model soon. But uh, in, in the U.S., it'll, it'll be a very distinctive truck you'll see going down the road. It sure will. It sure will. Right now, it's all camouflaged, and that in itself makes it distinctive, right? Um, talk a little bit, if you would, Mark, about the kitting process. You know, you're going to do sort of complete knockdowns and bring those trucks over here to to build them. Talk a little bit about that, and also, if you can, the timing for when that really get going. Get going. Yep. So it's um, you know, we have a really unique, um, a great situation with with Iveco as a partner. Um, as you know, they've been building trucks in, in Europe for for decades. 
Um, so partnering with them, we're able to uh, get the truck in a kitted form, whereas the, the entire cab will be built at the Iveco plant in Spain. Um, and then it'll be loaded onto, onto a container, four, four cabs to a container, um, and shipped to us here. And then we will build the chassis uh, from the ground up here in Coolidge. Uh, and they'll also do the same thing in Ulm, Germany. Uh, the difference is, though, that to ship a cab from Spain to Germany um, can be done on an open bed truck. It's not, a, not that difficult a problem. But to put it into a container um, is, is really quite, quite challenging. The, uh, there's, there's only about an inch and a half of space on either side of the container when we load these cabs in. But uh, we've done a lot of packaging work and, and, and we're pretty confident in the way that we can do it. But the benefit it gives us you know, here is that we can start in a really reasonable fashion, which is we'll build the chassis, which is the part that contains really the, um, the secret sauce part of, a, of an EV truck. And that's the, the part that you know, we're most involved in. Um, eventually, we'll move to industrializing the cab that's being built in Madrid, and, and we'll also build that here. But it allows us to focus early on doing the chassis bit and then just attaching the cab that's already pre-built. So it's, it's a great arrangement for us. Well, an inch and a half of space suggests that you should have either either some newspaper or styrofoam or something in there to protect. The, I presume those are painted bodies that are coming over. Is that right? Yeah, this is a fully painted, fully assembled body. So we have to take a lot of a lot of care in doing it. Um, in loading it and unloading it. And then we have to, of course, make sure we protect it on the way. But uh, again, the benefit for us is that Iveco already does this to uh, they ship trucks for this type of assembly uh, all over the world to the smaller markets. So they have they have vast experience in how to do this and make sure that we get a good quality truck on this end. Well, and what's interesting is that this is truly a transitional uh, activity for you because you're building a plant uh, in modules, I guess would be one way to put it. You know, phase one would be something that you would have for, uh, uh, you know, to basically assemble the kits and, and to build your chassis. And then when you go to phase two and phase three of the plant in Coolidge, Arizona, you'll be able to to do complete complete trucks. Um, talk a little bit, if you would, about how complicated this process is, and I'm assuming it is complicated, and where the advantages and disadvantages lie of doing what you're doing over here. Yeah, I think, I mean, complicated is, uh, um, I, I don't know how complicated it is what we're doing, but, you know, of course, it'd be easy, easier to just build out an entire facility to the full size of, of what you want it to be with the full capability um, right from the start. But, you know, we're a startup company. Um, we don't have an endless supply of funds and, and we're trying to be really quick moving. So doing this in phases, it allows us to get a really fast start on actually building trucks here in, in, in Phoenix. Um, but it also allows us to, to control the capital and only spend it when, when we actually need to. So that's really the, the multiple phase type approach. Um, it, it is, it's, it's a little bit more difficult. We have to plan a little bit farther ahead. Uh, and, you know, your term is really good. It has to be modular almost. It also has to be really flexible. So it takes a little bit of uh, additional engineering and, and conceptualizing up front to make sure that you don't build a monument that you can't uh, work around later. Um, but the benefit is that, you know, it's much easier to grow at a later point. Um, 
so to do it in phases is is really beneficial on on a few different fronts. Yeah, you've got a neighbor out there in in Lucid Motors that is sort of doing the same thing or did the same thing, if I'm not mistaken. They they finished recently their first phase um, and presumably are going to start doing some products. So you've got a bit of a model there for for maybe not their model, but certainly something similar going on not too very far from you. Yeah, I think you'll find that the majority of people that are that are doing this type of work right now, uh, we're all following a similar model, um, and and for very similar reasons, right? We want to have uh, we want to have fast start, and we want to have controlled growth, and we also want to manage manage our capital spending as well. Right. You've got two products, really. You've got the tray, of course, but you've got the tray as a battery electric. And then you have a, a fuel cell model. Talk to me a little bit or talk to us a, about what's happening with the fuel cell. I know you're going to make a couple of those this year, I believe. Is that right? Yep. So we'll start prototype builds of the fuel cell this year um, at the same time that we're actually doing the production trial builds of, of the battery electric vehicle. Um, so the, the engineering design work is going on on the fuel cells right now and, and our prototype shop. Uh, we'll start building prototypes in Europe, but we'll also start building prototypes here in the U.S. as well um, for this fuel cell project. You had mentioned, uh, I think, when uh, groundbreaking that uh, you were doing sort of a trial plan or a prototype plan, or uh, uh, there's a bunch of different names for it. Is that pretty? Uh, when will that be up and running? That that sort of uh, test plant. Yep. So that's what uh, my team affectionately calls phase zero point five. Um, we, uh, you know, we took our phase one and we, we split it in, we split it in half and we said, let's put up part of the building that we plan on putting up in phase one and, and let's do it as, as quickly as, as we can. Um, and, and so that we can actually start building trucks in, in 2021. So, uh, the first 270,000 square feet, which is our 0.5 phase, uh, the steel's going up right now. The roof's going on right now. They're pouring the concrete slabs. Uh, it should be, you know, fundamentally completed by by May of this year. Uh, the the assembly equipment is is on its way uh, to put in. We'll have that in place in in May, and and we're hoping to start building trucks in there this summer. That's terrific. I was going to ask you about the construction progress. You just sort of covered that a little bit, but uh, you really seem to have things on track now. And and again, you know, despite early appearances, because you know, went months where you know people were flying drones over the desert and saying, you know, where's the plan? Where's the plan? And of course, they don't unless you're say in China, they don't come up overnight, you know. And and uh, so I guess in in one sense, you know, getting your approvals for water and, and other things that you needed. They were sort of supply chain issues, weren't they, in a sense? Yeah, I mean, you know, first to respond to your one comment, I also did a factory in China, and it doesn't come out of the ground any quicker in China either, um, <laughs> despite what, what appearances are. Um, yeah, I mean, I have lots of experience with drones flying over my head while they're looking for work. Uh, you know, and I, and I wish for appearances sake, I wish people that, that are concerned about appearances could really see the thousands of man hours of design engineering and and uh, development and and all of the civil work that has to happen uh, before you can actually look like something is is going up out of the ground. There really is a limitless amount of work, um, but I'm really happy now that our you know appearances uh, are, are 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 easy to see. People can can see a lot of stuff. Um, that drone that flies over every once in a while has to go a little higher. Or it might just hit the building. 
Um, yeah, I think, you know, the, the supply chain issues, everything you're dealing with in the beginning of putting up a plant, it, it is a supply chain issue. And, and, and my team works super close with the supply chain team that we have here. I mean, you know, water, gas, electricity, uh, everything you're doing in the beginning uh, has to be negotiated. Uh, vendors have to be found. Uh, you have to come to terms and conditions for all of those people. Uh, and then you've got to manage the project. So for me, I don't see it as any different than than any supply chain type issue. Yeah, yeah. I I wanted to go back. I'm sorry. I just kind of take you back for one moment. This idea of of uh, you know building in phases. What what special challenges, if any, does does that present to you and 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 the team? I mean, I think that the the hard part is that you know there are some some aspects of building. Um, I'll use electricity as an example. Uh, you may want to build the building in phases and you may want to build the, uh, the the capacity in phases, but you have to get your electricity right in the beginning. So uh, the infrastructure part that you put in in the very first phase has to be capable of of providing through all the phases. So, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of planning that goes in. There's a lot of um, advanced scheduling on on how you're going to build so that you're not tearing everything apart later to try to uh, go to the next phase. So I think getting the infrastructure right is is probably the most complicated part of building in phases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've got to basically put it there and then grow into it rather than come back and, and add later. Kind of That's right. Saying. Building you can add later and, and process you can add later, but infrastructure is, is really difficult to add on to. And it's the thing that the drone just can't see. Uh, that is very true. Right. So let's talk about some of the polar opposites in, in your uh, manufacturing career. You, you've talked about this, and I, I think the audience would love to hear a little bit about this um, from the Toyota perspective and then the Tesla's perspective. And I, I hope the folks at Byton will forgive us. We're not going to talk about them. But I'd love to hear, again, the story, uh, sort of the contrast between those two types of, of effort and and how you're able to apply that now to, to what you're doing at Nikola. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, what's really important is that uh, uh, there is no right or wrong. Um, and a lot of people try to make this distinction that uh, if you do it the Toyota way, you're doing it wrong. And you look at that from a startup value. And then there's other people that look and say, oh, if you do it the Tesla way, you're doing it wrong. Um, both methods are are suitable for the time when they have to be executed. So I think, you know, I, I grew up in, in the Toyota world and, and in my opinion, the Toyota manufacturing methods are, are the best in the world. Um, but all big OEMs have great manufacturing methods. Um, and they're, they're time honored and proven with multiple, multiple projects. Um, and they have been tweaked over the years from, you know, from the early days of Henry Ford. They've, they've been tweaked with every new car and every new factory to the point where, you know, there are a million different steps. And if you follow every one of them and you tick the box every step of the way, you almost have a guarantee of success. Uh, and if you have the time and the resources and the money, that's the right way to do things, you know, to, to guarantee your success. Um, if you're in a startup world, when you're trying to get your product out into the market and you're trying to, uh, like I said previously, you're trying to control the amount of money that you spend. Um, then you have to take a little bit different approach and you have to 
try to figure out what are the absolute key most important things that I have to do to make sure that that we don't have a, a, a really big problem. Um, some of them that you do, you know, less of a check than you would in a big system. Um, and it allows you to move quickly. It does put you at risk of making some mistakes. Um, but you hope you have a very strong team that can that, that can manage their way through that that way. It's quicker, um, much, much quicker than a traditional method, but certainly not as guaranteed proven. But that's that's how startups work. And I think it's, uh, you know, as Tesla's proven, it, it can be work really successfully. And it can also cause some problems. <laughs> you used the word uh, last time we talked, I ended up looking it up and I'm never going to remember it now, but you will, uh, which is basically the art of making things. Uh, talk Monos about that a little bit. Yeah, Monosakuri. Monosakuri. Um, probably uh, my favorite word from my time at, at Toyota. And it, it, it kind of, it speaks to my sort of feeling about manufacturing. And, you know, there's a lot of people that over the years have, have looked down on manufacturing and, um, you know, thus, thus manufacturing in the U.S. sort of, you know, had its, had its years where it wasn't doing very well. Um, it's making a comeback now as people realize that if you let other people do all of your manufacturing, then, then, then maybe that's, that's not a good solution either. Um, but Montezacuri loosely translated and maybe in my understanding with apologies to my Japanese colleagues, um, is, is the art of making things. Um, and when you, you know, when you apply that philosophy to, it doesn't matter if you're doing an intricate carving or a sculpture or building a car or a truck. Um, it's an art and the people who do it are artisans. You know, they're, they're not, you're not just putting parts on a truck. Um, you are, you're actually building something that is, that is productive and, and beautiful. And from a technology standpoint, in our case, uh, brilliant. You, um, uh, also, uh, have talked about, and, and, you know, I think, uh, Elon Musk at Tesla uh, talks about and talked about back in 2018, a process called manufacturing hell. Are you hitting that yet, or is that ahead of you or behind you at Nikola? <laughs> I hope it's not ahead of us. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna really hope it, it, it doesn't occur. Uh, I think if you, uh, uh, you know, philosophically, I'd like to think that you plan well enough that that doesn't happen. Um, and like I said, if you follow. Uh, big traditional OEM ways of doing things, you probably don't go through manufacturing hell because uh, because you've planned everything well enough and you've executed everything well enough and you've taken all the time that you need to take to ensure your success without going through manufacturing hell. Um, I guess the degree of manufacturing hell you go through is based on how much of the work and how many of those key critical components uh, you you have you have made sure you you didn't miss. Um, so I, I I would say that I'm hopeful we won't go through it, but I know that uh, we will. And and even the big OEMs when they launch a new product, uh, they won't use that term. But uh, it's you're always going to have problems, and and you're always going to have to solve them. And um, yeah, I lived the first version of my of manufacturing hell at Tesla, but uh, you know what? It was also the best part of my career. For for people who like to problem solve, uh, it's a great time. Yeah. Listen, I hope 
that you can, in fact, bloom in the desert. It sounds like you're starting to do that now. I am, uh, I'm really happy we could catch up today, and I hope the audience has enjoyed hearing from you. Thanks very much for your candor. Thanks very much for, for helping us understand where things are with Nicola in, in Coolidge and with your, your first uh, U.S. plant. Thanks again for being here. All right. Thanks for having me. It's been fun.